Morning, everybody. It is 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm Glenn Mack now, along with my pal, Ray Dinger. Nice to see you, Ray. You look uh, spiffy today. Oh, nice to see you, Glenn. You dress very nicely for a Sunday. Hmm? You dress very nicely for a Sunday. You put on your collared shirt, mm-hmm. khakis, and mm-hmm. so on. I'm here in a sweatshirt and jeans, and, you know. <laughs> hey, it's you and me and Dan Wilson today, you know. I didn't know I had to impress, but you look good. I mean that in a good way. Well, I appreciate that. Sure. I, 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 I try to carry myself like a professional. All right. Um, a lot we want to get to today, including at noon, a special edition of Tell Us Your Story. It has been our privilege to do this feature. Wow, we're coming up on two years. We started it right when the pandemic began in March of 2020. We have done 101 of these. And uh, you came up with the idea a little while back. Let's let's take some of the well, I'll just let you explain it. What are we doing? Well, it's, it's that's we call it best of, and that's really what it is. Best of, tell us your story. And you, you're right. We've been doing these for two years. We've done more than a hundred interviews, um, and they've been great. I mean, not, they've been fun. I mean, they've been fun for you. They've been fun for me. Hopefully, they've been fun for the audience. Uh, but within and from all sports and people from uh, you know broadcasters, athletes, coaches, executives. I mean, we've We've run the gamut, really, uh, in the course of two years. We've gotten just these people just coming on and for one hour telling us their story. And there's a lot of, I mean, it's just a goldmine of wonderful anecdotes and wonderful personal experiences and some really insightful stuff, some really touching stuff, some really warm and fuzzy stuff, and some stuff that's very, frankly, surprising, things that you didn't, you didn't know, I didn't know. A lot of really good stuff there. So I said, why don't we, why don't we put it together? Why don't we just do, to mark the 100th, the hundred shows. Why don't we do a best of? We collect the best of the stuff and put it together. And what we found out was when we started culling the material, we realized that there was way more than one show, and we wound up with three shows. So we've run two, and today is number three. Yeah, and it's got a good theme to it. Yeah, it's called uh, uh, "Nice to Meet You," and it's a, a lot of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it are stories that our interview subjects talk about when they met someone. Uh, in their in their life or their career that made a difference or made an impression. So there's some really good stuff in there. And then there's also the, the back half of it is, is just some general stories, which um, Al Michaels talking about broadcasting when the earthquake hits the World Series. Uh, Pat Croce, <laughs> you never get tired. Uh, Pat, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's a glad to meet you, but that was a meeting. Yeah, Pat Croce talking about trying to be the owner of the Sixers and keep peace between Alan Iverson and Larry Brown is very funny. And you know, Michael Buffer comes on and tells us how he came up with Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Where did that come from? How did he create it? Why did he create it? And how it's grown. So uh, it's really going to be a lot of fun. So that, that's at noon today. All right. So a lot to cover between now and then, uh, including a what we're watching we're going to do, Ray's draft preview. But uh, I, I want to start with some questions for Ray. I always say it's five questions for Ray, but we never get to all five. So I, I make no promises. But here we go. Here's number one. It is still the big story, Ray. One day later, two days uh, after Friday night. Uh, how do you feel about James Harden's debut on Friday? Let me tell you, you and I were wondering what the TV ratings were going to be. It set the record for the highest ever for NBC Sports Philadelphia for a regular season Sixers game. And they've been covering it since they came on, right? Mm-hmm. When that station starts, pre-Iverson, when did they start? It's like 25 years now. Okay, yeah, well, there you go. Uh, all-time highest ever rating they had for regular season game. Third highest ever, including playoffs. 
So all those years under Iverson when the Sixers were, you know, going deep into the playoffs, I guess a lot of those are on network, but still, um, the fans are excited, and they certainly should be. By the way, James Harden's number one jersey is the top-selling jersey on NBA.com over the last couple of weeks. Today, they go into Madison Square Garden. Boy, Madison Square Garden is like the mecca of basketball, and their, their, their team just stinks. 25-35 yep. um, are the Knicks, losers of four straight. Without Derrick Rose, without Kemba Walker, without Quentin, Quentin Grimes. Anyway, my question for you is, how you feeling two days later? Uh, the same. Excited about the team. Excited about the future. Excited about what they're building there. And, uh, you know, this, the Sixers are not generally appointment viewing for me. I'll watch them sometimes and other times. Eh, I'm going to watch them now. I sure watched the other night. And uh, look, I don't know that it's going to be that good and that easy every time out. Probably won't. Uh, be nice if it was, but I doubt it. Uh, but, yeah, sure, I'm going to watch today because it's going to be, um, you know, it, it, there is, you, you said it. I mean, the Knicks are not good and haven't been good for a long time and haven't really been a big player in the NBA for a long time. But there's still no mistaking the magic that is Madison Square Garden. And national television on a Sunday afternoon, Madison Square Garden is big time. And you know the Sixers are feeling it. You know James Harden's feeling it. Uh, and I kind of want to see – we saw what they could do against you know, a pretty mediocre kind of team in Minnesota. Let's see what they can do in Madison Square Garden. Because you know the Knicks, there's going to be a big national audience. There's going to be a lot of national media there. Um, you know, James, and there's going to be, it's not going to be all that friendly. Because you know, James Harden kind of ran out on the Brooklyn Nets. So he's going back to not exactly their same arena, but certainly the same area. So there's going to be some grumbling, and there's going to be it's not going to be a warm welcome, I wouldn't suspect. But let's just see how he handles it. Let's just see how the team handles it and go from there. I mean, everybody's looking down the road to March the 10th, and, and you and I have both yeah, kind we're, of— We're going to get into that in just yeah, a moment. Yeah, you and I both yeah. have our own feelings of how that's going to go. But today, I mean, Chapter 2 of James Harden joins Philadelphia and the Sixers, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, and, yeah, I'm going to rush home from here, put it on TV, and spend my afternoon watching basketball, which is— not my usual bill affair either. It took about 90 seconds for the chemistry to develop the other night, and that was the amazing part. You know, we thought, ah, it's going to take a while, and I hear what you say. There will be some ups and downs, and they may, you know, have a couple dumb turnovers today, but gosh almighty, it was great. And I also said this yesterday, and, and I, I want to see more of this. I've been watching the Sixers since I moved here in, well, it was during the Barkley era, right, post, post the 83 team. I was here for like the last year of Doc, but it was really Barkley's team and, and that team and then watching that team decline and then the buildup with Iverson and then after that and then all those kind of mediocre years and then the process. I've never seen a player on the Sixers like James Harden who can create his own shot, who can who can pass, who's going to have you know, 11, 12 assists a game, who can, who can dribble, who can run, who finds – when I say pass – he find, I think Allah Abdel Nabi said this the other day when he's talking about his his passing and how accurate it was. He doesn't just get it to the guy. He said he puts it in his pocket. Right. And I thought that was a brilliant way to describe it. Um, and it's fun to watch. I was not here. I don't well, I don't even remember watching Hal Greer. I don't know how old I would have been when he played. The best Sixers guards that I remember are Mo Cheeks as a point guard and Allen Iverson as kind of a unique entity. Um, 
I'm not going to tell you James Harden's the best ever to play for the Sixers. He's played one game, and he's only going to have a couple of years here. But I've never seen anybody with this skill set here. Have you? Um. Well, when you're, when you're talking about the guards, you do. I mean, were you here for Andrew Tony at all? No, I came right after Tony. Okay, because he would have to be in that discussion. Yeah, I came right after him. Different kind of player. I, I came. Mean, I came play, the year that but a great score. I came the year that Harold Katz was bemoaning him for what Harold suggested were fake injuries. Okay, that's the year I moved here. Yeah, the Andrew Tony, the Andrew Tony era was winding down then for sure. But when he was when he was young and when he was at his best. Um, he was a dynamic player, but a different kind of player. He was just a pure scorer. Right. He was not a playmaker. Right. You know, James Harden is is a playmaker point guard who led the league in scoring. That's a rare combination. Yeah. yeah. Iverson was this unique entity, right? Who put up thirty points a game. Right. Mo was it didn't really involve his teammates that much. It, that's, no, that's and, the then, and that's, that's the, the, the way they built a team. Right. right. It's the way they built a team. And uh, Mo Cheeks, of course, was the ultimate point guard. Right. The prototype great point guard distributor. And, and, then, and a great defender. And a great defender. And then there's this guy. Well, he's not a great defender, Harden. So no. I guess that part goes out. All right. Second thing. Um, news comes out yesterday from, from Shams and the others who cover the NBA. Sources. Nets star Ben Simmons is dealing with back soreness in a reconditioning process that requires further strengthening of the area over a period of time before returning to action. Steve Nash on Simmons yesterday, quote, it's not like an injury. It's just like he's returning to play. His back's flared up a little bit. And then Nash said, but it's not a long-term thing. Ray, I can tell you exactly how long-term I think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Go right ahead. Today, what, February 27th? 27, 28 plus 10, 12, 13 days. Mm-hmm. I think that's how long this back thing's going to be. He's going to wake up on March the 11th, and all the symptoms will be gone. Ah. It's I hate to I hate to be so cynical. No, with I him, hate it, to be it, so cynical. You, but what with but him? But there's no choice. You no, he leaves you no choice. Sure, sure. And how is first of all? I, I I'm bothered that he calls him a star, but I guess you have to call him a star. How is Ben Simmons not a not in condition to play in the NBA? Um, wasn't he? He was working out all year. He's he's young. He's not injured per se. They've got vets who haven't played in the last three or four years, who they bring in and they're ready to go the next day. Yeah. The difference is they want to play. That's the difference. The difference is those guys want to play. This guy doesn't want to play. <laughs> just, it, it really, you want, to put, you want to put a bottom line on it? That's it. He doesn't want to play. Yeah. Boy, they're going to regret that up there. I don't know how hard the thing works out long term. Again, I, I think for the short term, this is going to be great. Yeah, well, there there really is no long term, right? Harden. I right. mean, it's I mean, you know exactly what you've you know exactly what you're going for. You're going for the, the here and the now. You're going to try and win a championship right now. And listen, I'm 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 in with that because we lived through the whole process, you know, which was where there was no end in sight. Okay, now the end is in sight, and it may be what you were trying to get all along. So yeah, but the Ben Simmons thing is not going to. I mean. This, you look at this. This, this is a guy that's not going to win a championship. You know, it's just he's just not. He's just not a winner. And there, I think they're already. He hasn't even he hasn't even stepped on the court yet. And I think they're all beginning beginning to realize. I that. think they're going to have buyer's remorse very quickly, as you say. They may already have buyer's remorse. If you're a, if you're a fan up there, right? 
And you're thinking the same thing that people thought here initially when the Sixers drafted Ben Simmons. It comes in as working. Oh, this skill set is unique, and look what he can do. And oh my God, and defend and pass. And I think they're going to realize really quickly, like, oh boy, we bought the lemon. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, let me sneak in one call. I don't want to toss in another issue, but Aaron in Balakinwood wants to talk about his excitement over Harden. By the way, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind? Hey, you guys, how you doing? All right, Happy Saturday. How are you? Sunday, but that's okay. Oh, Sunday. You're right. You're that's right. All right. right. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so overjoyed with the situation. You know, we've had to deal with these guys: Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Simmons, complaining about the fans, all this other stuff for the past year. With, I mean, on top of Simmons. And now we got a guy, it seems like he's locked in. And that's just what I love to see. That's what I've been loving to see. Yeah, you know what's fun to see is the immediate relationship, and I guess it predates this, that he has with Embiid. Uh, and I'm talking about the on, uh, the on ice, listen to me. I'm talking about the on-court chemistry, and I'm just also talking about, you saw them afterward in the news conference kind of enjoying each other. I, I, think, uh, I think it's beginning rays, they say, of a beautiful friendship. I think so. I think so too. I think they have like a buddy movie. There you go. They're so they're so funny <laughs> together already. You know what? That would be a great little gig, right? You could do something like that. Uh two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. All right, Ray, I wanna bring in a couple other issues here. I wanna we're gonna talk about everything today in the time that we have. So I wanna talk about baseball. Uh do you mind a, a small rant first? Uh go right ahead. At this point, it, it nobody should be deluded into anything other than that it's the owners and Rob Manfred who are why baseball is going to miss games. Uh, they're going to announce as early as tomorrow that the season isn't going to start on time. And the owners, I, I, I don't want to get into too much into the specifics of the negotiations because fans don't care, nor should they. Right. But just know that the owners won't move 1% on issues. They won't move $1 million. I was looking at it. It's like they won't move a million dollars. I'm saying million dollars per team. Million. It's a million dollars for the sport. Um, they're digging in because they want to win. And if they took what the players are offering now, they would still have the win. The players are asking for so little relative to the revenue that's in baseball. Anyway, in my mind, I wish we had owners who really loved baseball, who really cared about baseball, uh, who really liked it as a sport rather than their secondary business for whatever they do, tobacco or otherwise. And I will tell you that, in my opinion, John Middleton and all the other major league owners who are about to cancel the start of the season and lock out the players should be ashamed because the sport's in big trouble for a lot of reasons, and this thing is going to be a crippling blow. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Well, there you go. Uh, I know, I believe, you told me you were on earlier this week with the Midday Guys and you talked about how to save baseball or what yeah. should be done to save baseball. Yeah, they were. that was their theme of, of the whole, of pretty much the whole day, and I, I just joined them for one hour. What was your best idea? For saving baseball? Yeah. I mean, we're getting past collective bargaining. Yeah, no, we're, no, we're no. We're talking the, about the, the game. game. Because here, you and I agreed on this last week. When we talked about it a little bit last week, we said they're going to dither over – whether Super 2 arbitration-eligible players should be part of this money pool. For the, and, and like that's none of that is going to help what we agree is a game that's suffering because of the product on the field. Right. So staying away from or conceding that these negotiations are not dealing with the real problems. Right. And we know the real problems. 
I want to come to you, and I guess I'm going to piggyback off what you guys did earlier in the week because I didn't get to hear it, but I want to hear like your idea. I want to hear the listener's idea for what do you do to make baseball better because we love you and I love the sport. We've often talked about for both of us it was our first sport, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to sit down and watch a nine-inning game. Yes, virtually impossible. So how do we make it better? Um, I I put out what I've been I've said to you when you and I've been doing the show. I've, I've said it a hundred times. I expand the strike zone. Mm-hmm. I'd take the strike zone back to what it was originally designed to be. Call the strike zone from the letters to the knees. Um, I think that one simple adjustment would cha- would dramatically change everything. Because instead of hitters standing up there. Taking pitches, taking pitches, taking pitches, waiting for the walk, making the pitch counts run up. If if you take the strike zone back to what it used to be, you know, guess what? All those two O counts are now going to be O two counts, and and hitters can't keep taking pitches. They're going to have to become more aggressive. They're going to have to swing the bat because they're going to be protecting a bigger strike zone. That's you know, and if you get that, then you got you know, then the whole game changes. Then guess what? Pitchers aren't at a hundred pitches in the fifth inning. You know, so maybe your starting pitchers can go deeper into games. It's if you just change the strike zone back, and I'm not saying change it, revolutionize it, take it somewhere where it's never been. I'm just saying take it back to what it used to be. Armpits the bigger, to knees. The bigger, where are you going? From the letters. Letters to knees. The letters to the knees. Uh-huh. What, the way it used to be, and you'll make hitters will have to. The hitters will have to become more aggressive, and you'll have a more you'll have a, a more offensive game. You won't have pit. You won't have guys up there waiting and looking and running counts. Because they're not going to be able to. The pitch that they used to take for a ball is now going to be a strike. I like that. I'm in. I, I'm absolutely in. I'll give you another one. And our pal Jason Stark wrote a great piece uh, for The Athletic this last week. Looking at something that it sounds like from Jason's story, there is a consensus that, that doing what I'm about to say is a good idea, except that they're so distracted by the other stuff that they're not going to get to it. And that is I would make the shift illegal. I think the shift is the thing that has hurt the game as much as anything else. And I agree with what you just said. Um, but I think the shift is something that has basically taken away a left-handed hitter's ability to send a line drive over second base for a single into right field. Um, made ground ball hits, which now you can't do because there's so many damn infielders. He, he, um, Jason had a, had a statistic. I, I think Bill James did this. 2013, so we're talking eight seasons ago, the shift was done basically 7,000 times all season by every team in baseball. Last year it was done 60,000 times. Jeez, mm-hmm. it seems like it was more. <laughs> 60,000 60, pitches. And um, it means that more than half the balls put into play last year were hit into the shift. And you see how it's just – it crushes. And I know there are people who say, like, oh, why isn't the guy – why didn't Ryan Howard just try to bunt it over to past third base? And I would get frustrated sometimes when Ryan Howard would try to power one through the guys. But I'll give you a quote. This is in Jason's story. This is from Freddie Freeman, okay? Mm-hmm. That rover in right field, it's very rare that I hit one into that shift. It's just the one up the middle is the one that gets me. I'm like, I've been taught my whole life to hit a line drive up the middle. That's what I learned. Now I'm out. So maybe if they eliminate that and they keep the shortstop in the left side of the bag, I might get some more hits. Freddie Freeman is one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah, he is. And a guy who can spread it around. Freddie Freeman is not just the guy who always tries to, you know, power it through. But he's right. It's it so has 
taken away the taken away fielding, running, hitting, every base running, every aspect of the game. And I would, to me, it's the simplest change in the world. Yeah, you have to have two guys on each side of second base, uh, and they have to start to play with a foot in the dirt, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would be a immediate improvement. Well, okay, I think take take your idea, take my idea, implement them both, and I think you've with. As simple as that. I think you've dramatically you've dramatically changed the game for the better. I think we got a good start. Yeah. All right. There you go. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll take some callers coming up in the next segment. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack now. Sunday morning on ninety four WIP.